things. And, you know, again, uh, I, I understand where, where Michigan standing is in so many people's minds. You know, we have a thousand and four wins now all time. And yeah, but how many banners do you have? How many championships do you have? You don't really belong in the conversation of elite football programs because it's all empty calories, all those wins. Mm -hmm. uh, now you can't say it, can't say it. And certainly Harbaugh being the one to do it um, in this day and age of name, image, and likeness and transfer portals and how uh, recruiting has changed. And again, now it's going to change in terms of the way a, a college football playoff stage is set. Um, it, it just does feel like an end of an era uh, and that Michigan won the last game of that era. Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. Cowboy, take me away. Hail to the victors. Today, the victor being Rich Eisen because he joins us in virtual Studio J with a national championship in tow. The Michigan Wolverines were victorious the other night over Washington, and Rich has been a stoked man ever since. We talk Michigan, we talk coaching vacancies. We talk breaking the Mike Vrabel news to Taylor Lewan live on air on Tuesday. We talk some of Rich's wildest interviews, what he thinks might happen to Jim Harbaugh next season, in the future of the NFL, where are they going to expand? He did a bunch of games across the pond this year. Does he think he might have a few more next season? We have a great time with Rich. Congratulations again. Before Rich jumps on, Chris talks about those coaching vacancies we discussed, Mike Vrabel being the biggest surprise, what the Titans might do next, what can the Falcons do to replace Arthur Smith. And at the end of the show, the Bonnaroo lineup dropped. We review it. We talk the bands that you're going to want to see if you're making the trek out of Bonnaroo. And, and Chris wonders if he can still make it. Can he do a Bonnaroo trip? We don't know. He might downgrade himself to doubtful this year. Check it all out. We'll catch you on Friday with another great preview in our Friday Free Show. Today we got Rich Eisen. The college football season is over. I tried to call in a favor to the most famous Michigan uh, alum that I know um, whose show I go on. And so, Rich, <laughs> big pool. You're, yeah, you're the guy, dude. I was thinking about Juwan Howard. I was thinking about, like, Charles Woodson. I was thinking about Jake Long. But uh, that could be confusing for people. Uh, and for Taylor Lewan, a guy like him, he don't want to go on anybody's show today because Vrabes got fired. Mm -hmm. So, like, for Rich, it's pure excitement, this 24-hour period. For Taylor Luan or somebody like that, well, just Taylor Luan. That's his worlds colliding. We got to talk about Mike Vrabel today. He was on Rich's show when the news broke about Vrabel. How about him? He, he can't even bask in the afterglow of that game. You know, Taylor's got to wake up this morning feeling like a million bucks, and then his boy gets axed. And I think people are really confused. Well, they're not really confused. It, I think – Two things can be true. You can love Mike Vrabel, and I would hire him in a heartbeat, and I'd love to play for the guy. And then you can also acknowledge that the, there were some, some, some issues on his staff that you know maybe took too long to take care of. There were some offensive struggles during his tenure that are hard to explain away. I think you know 
the the offensive coordinator issue lingered a little longer than it should have. It was really hard to replace Arthur. You know, I I also think the Cincinnati playoff game was enormous. You talk about things that people don't get over. You know, um, you have home field advantage, and you've been knocking at the door, and you lose that game, and you lose that game because of the quarterback, 19-16. And that's a tough pill to swallow. And then over the next couple years, you have Tannehill's injuries. You obviously have the trade of A.J. Brown. You have Bayard this year. It just felt like it was one thing at a time. And over the last couple of years, you've seen them, you know, now down if you're a Titans fan and you're waking up in September to watch a game of next year. You're not going to have Vrabel. You're not going to have Derrick Henry. You're not going to have Tannehill. You're not going to have Bayard. You know, Lawan retired a couple of years ago. Like a lot of guys that – and this is how it happens in the NFL. It happens fast. and It happens before you even know it's happening. You know, it's happening before you know it's happening. And – um you know, the band gets broken up. And it's unfortunate because it was really fun to watch this, this variable era. If, it, it felt like it was just getting started for me. Um, and maybe that's just because I enjoy watching Mike, Mike coach so much. And I enjoy watching him get out of these disadvantageous spots. I thought, you know, week 18 is a microcosm of, you know, who he is as a coach. Um, but the ceiling on that operation seemed to, to struggle. You know, that, that ceiling seemed to linger kind of lower than you wanted it to be. Now, the floor, although you look at the record and say, fuck, they got killed in their division the last couple of years. They've gone on a really bad stretch, quiet as kept. But he's always seemed to be a crisis manager with personnel, um, with the opponents they're facing, with the spot they're in. They just don't give a shit. They line up and play football. And as a guy who – you know, I don't think of myself as old NFL. I think of Rabel as, like, old NFL. I think of one of the, the guys that was here for the turn, right? Like, like I was one of the few that got to see the new NFL and the old NFL. You know, when I came in the league, there were a bunch of guys like Mike Vrabel. And I gravitate to those people. They were leaders for me. You know, there was something about those people that reminded me of my dad. You know, like, like they've seen some shit. They've been through some shit. So... I gravitate to a guy like Mike Vrabel. I, th- I think it's really cool to see guys from that era coaching. That's why I love Dan Campbell. Um, that's why I love seeing players now, like somebody like D'Amico Ryan's getting a shot because he played. He didn't just play. He played before the CBA changed everything, you know, back when guys had two-a-days. I sound like I'm that guy walking through the snow on the way to school, but it was a fucking different deal. And so I love those guys, and I love Mike Vrabel. But – I guess it was time for a change. It is shocking for some people when you look at the fact that they were deep in the playoffs consecutive years, like two years ago. But as I laid it out, there have been some things that have happened that have just kind of compounded and snowballed. And now, if you're Amy Adams Strunk, you're, you're thinking, what do I have to do? Well, there are some things that I'd like to change internally if I had to guess. And, you know, I don't know that it was a foregone conclusion that she was going to fire Vrabel, but a lot of times there are ultimatums. And Vrabel strikes me as a guy, and this is one of the reasons I love him. He's a guy that's like, hey, fuck your ultimatum. You know, I want to do things my way. And that can, that can hurt guys for sure. And he came up in a, a school of Bill Belichick where Bill's buying the groceries and, and cooking dinner and that sort of thing. And I don't know how much – control of the personnel Vrabel wanted. And I don't know if the change in GM over the last couple of years with Robinson on the way out and Rand Carthen, who I think is awesome, 
was in the building with me in, in St. Louis. He's a quality dude. He's been on the show, but sometimes groups don't click and sometimes you can't figure out how to, you know, delegate. And um, I think for an owner, I would imagine that meeting detailed some things that that she wanted changed. And I think Vrabel's probably in a position of leverage where you think about some coaches getting fired. Yeah, I'll do whatever you need me to do, but not Mike Vrabel. He's got other jobs he could get. And I, I think if I was a, somebody hiring, uh, I would look long and hard at, at Mike Vrabel. Now, obviously, everybody's ex excited about the New England prospect, and I think it fit wonderfully. I think he'd be, he'd be great. He'd, he'd bring a, a new age version of Bill to town, you know, like – He's one of the few coaches, don't forget, that's left that nest and succeeded. And I think part of it is because he's been his own fucking guy. Okay? And, you know, too many times guys try hard, too hard to be, to be Bill. You know, like, you hear stories about Josh in New England. You hear, or, you know, you hear stories about Josh in Vegas. You hear stories about former coaches going somewhere else and trying to be Bill and doing things that just be yourself. And I think Vrabel was able to do that and also infuse some of that New England culture without saying outwardly, hey, we're going to be New England. You know, because guys don't want to fucking hear that. They want to be their team. Now, when he went up for that Ring of Honor induction, I think he ruffled some feathers when he said, enjoy this. It's not like this everywhere. So if I am Mike Vrabel and I don't like the situation around me when it comes to what are my responsibilities now as opposed to a couple years ago. If I don't think we're in a real good place organizationally, I don't think that team's very talented right now. I think he actually hid their floor really well, as he does any given Sunday. He did it on a macro level, even considering how bad they've been. I think I have job opportunities. I'm not fucking answering to ultimatums, okay? Now, I don't know how much personnel control somebody's going to cede to him somewhere else. And I certainly don't know if that, that, that place is New England. Just because Bill did it for a long time doesn't mean they want to let that happen again. And you almost feel like they'd want to go the opposite way and say, well, we can't have somebody in who's trying to pull a parcels. But I think you have leverage if you're Mike Vrabel, more than most coaches getting fired, because I see paths to other places. And when you listen to, first off, the Amy Adams Strunk video today, which is curious on a lot of levels, number one, She's not actually answering to reporters. She sends somebody else to do that. Number two, the very shooting of that video, which seemed very state TV. That video looked to me like state TV. And it was cut like a – the set screamed. I tweeted this earlier. The set screamed, I just fired somebody. But what it really screamed, somebody messaged me, was like 1985 Moscow. Mm -hmm. Or like or – like, East Germany. Yeah, like East Germany, right west of the wall. Right? Uh, did I get that right geographically? Okay. Uh, it's west of the wall. Okay. East of the wall. East of the wall in East Germany. See, that's why I'm fucked up. <laughs> East Germany. See, that's why I asked you, historian. Um, but it reminded me of, like, the way they were cutting it, the way they were cutting from shot to shot. Me and Nolan watched it, and, and we had the same fucking text message that we sent at the same time. I said he sent the video at the same time as I sent the video, and then we sent the same follow-up, which is this set is atrocious. It looks like he, it looks like they called Vrabel in, Miss Amy fired him, 
And they were like, where do you want to do the interview? And she was like, we should do it right here in the HR room. We don't need any props. You know, we don't. Also, I also wonder what the casting looked like to be like the interviewer. Like, I had to guys like pulling straws, like. But that guy, that guy's obviously the, their PR guy and everything. And I'm sure he's yeah. like, fuck, look what I got to do right now. But, <laughs> but I got to put on this Titans Q-zip. Anybody got a Titans helmet we could just stick on the, it looks like, you know, this is not a place you usually do interviews. And maybe it wasn't fitting to do this interview in front of a Titans backdrop or something. But it just looked like they were like, fuck it. We're going to do the interview where we fired him. Move some chairs out of the way. Uh, let's do it right here. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Uh, but the cuts were crazy. They were like, um, they were like, uh, check it out with Steve Brule. Uh, it, it was like, it, it was public access TV. It was crazy. The, the production value on this thing wasn't great now. And, and I, got, I got no opinion on the owner. I don't know owners like fan bases, no owners. Um, so you tell me. But I'm listening to her talk and the number one question that was asked early on, and first off, these questions are all very leading questions. They're like, there are people saying this, Amy, but what you're thinking is X, Y, Z. Am I right? And she's like, that is right, X, Y, Z. But like at one point, she's like, they're like, hey, what do you think about the, 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 the thought of you trading Mike Vrabel? I'm like, did that ever come up? Which is something we've toyed with on this show, like trading coaches. I didn't know these guys have no trade clauses. I did not know that, which from a labor standpoint, that's kind of fucked up. You know, like, yeah. I don't know what makes coaches different than players in that they can, you know, say, I don't want to get traded here. You know, we had Sean Merriman on last week. They, they, they waived him in L.A. and he's got to go to Buffalo. He almost retired because he didn't want to go to Buffalo. Okay. Mike Vrabel on a couple levels probably wasn't down with this. Okay. But what Amy's. Amy's thought process was, she said, we didn't want to, you know, have to go to the back of the line and we didn't want to have to, to waste three weeks trying to find a trade partner for a coach, which makes a lot of sense to me, right? But then 30 seconds later, they're asking her, what's the number one thing you've learned hiring coaches? And she says, cast a wide net and take your time. And that's a sentiment that's been echoed by a lot of owners when you listen to them. It's like, we're going to take our time, which is a load of bullshit, right? They know who they want to hire. I'm pretty sure. That's why the Rooney rules here, right? Like these coaches know who they want to, these GMs and these owners, they know who they want in the building. Ideally, there's some people who knock your socks off in interviews. But I will say this. I don't think there's a group of people in America worse at hiring the most important asset outside of the quarterback for a business that's worth so much as owners are when it comes to hiring head coaches. And I think the thing they miss on so often is the vibe is this like, how do you not know this guy's a, a douche nozzle? You know, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but I'm saying mm -hmm. I've seen coaches where I'm like, how do you not know? Oh yeah. It's because you're, you live in a fucking 70,000 square foot uh, condominium with three people at your beck and call all day and you have no real friends. I'm not saying all owners are like that, but I would imagine you're so siloed, dude, you know? like That's why I love the commanders bringing in Bob Myers. It's like, hey, this isn't my job. I need to find somebody smart to do this job. And I also think Josh Harris seems like he's been around human beings a little bit. 
you know, and from talking to people that's been around Josh Harris, he's not like some robot that doesn't know, you know, how do you know who's going to do it in a room full of guys that you're nothing like, you know? And so I, I think having owners that have that emotional intelligence and that delegation skill really important. I, I'm not making a determination on, on, on Amy Adam Strunk. I, I, what I am saying though, is that these are tough decisions. The guy you just let walk out the door, there's nobody that, that, that has the it factor more than him. So how are you going to follow this guy? And you have to be intentional about how you follow him because as you know, it's hard to fool a room full of grown men. And one thing you know, that Vrabel didn't have to worry about doing was fooling people. He was who he was, and people respected him for it. So the next guy you bring in cannot be a Brandon Staley. And by that I mean cannot have a shtick. You know what I'm saying? you got to be whoever you are, and you got to know ball. And so I don't know if they want to go offense, they want to go defense, whatever it is, but I thought it was interesting her talking about that trade and not wanting to go to the back of the line by way of losing three weeks juxtaposed 30 seconds later where she said, we got to be patient. Now, I think what happened with that trade is, because these guys have no trade clauses, Mike Vrabel's like, take that trade and roll it up like a newspaper and stick it up your ass. Okay? Not and to admitting Amy, that, yeah, but to the organization. And admitting, admitting that he has trade value also makes the decision to fire him look more dubious well it's admitting he has it's the weirdest thing in the world we always we always talk about these quarterback trades and there are these 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 head coach trades and they've happened but boy isn't it weird when you think it through you've got to consent to where you're traded as a coach how does that conversation go hey fuck you we're gonna trade you (laughs) and the place you're gonna go and you're gonna say yes is gonna send us capital so so then it's gonna be harder for you to win where we send you no coach is agreeing to that. And so I'm pretty sure what happened is Mike Vrabel was like, roll it up like a newspaper. <laughs> okay. I want to grab some of that, um, that Vaseline over there in the training room and shove it up your ass, Titans. Because I am not getting traded. No fucking way. And that's how I would be if I was Mike Vrabel. And he strikes me as that type of guy. And I love him for it. I hope he ends up in New England. I hope he re- Here's another one. Maybe here's what I think really happened. I think prior to the trade thing, I think that was a short conversation and he knew it would be. But I think he probably said one of two things. I'm not ceding any personnel control. Whatever he had now, I'm not giving any of it away. To me, that's an unknown commodity or quantity. I don't know how much he had. The other thing is, I bet you, if I had to guess, he was like, all right, you want to change something? I want to bring Arthur Smith back. Or something like that, you know? I, I, I think there was some, some negotiation. I don't think it was she walked in and said, hey, you're fired. I think, it was, I think it was some ultimatum one way or another, and it didn't happen. It's not like breaking up. It's not like breaking up with your girlfriend. You know, you, you have these ultimatums like, I'm leaving. You know, you leave. And then the person leaves, and they come back like, you're gone, bro. It's over. So that's the thing about throwing ultimatums out to Mike Vrabel. That's the way it seemed, that it was a quick decision, because Will yeah. Levis even said when on his exit interview is that uh, Vrabel said in a couple days, reach out, and we'll talk about, you know, the offseason. We'll talk about how everything went. We'll, we'll recap. We'll regroup. And so it seemed like he it took him off, off guard as well. Well, it, is, it was surprising, but Mike Vrabel got fired. I guess it wasn't something we didn't speculate on. Like, you know, we wondered. But um, that's a good coach that's just joined the Freedom Caucus. 
okay? <laughs> and uh, he's all out of newspapers. So, guys, he's ready to coach some team hard. Perfect. And I think he'd be great. And I think if he got that New England job, how about an Arthur Smith uh, and, and Mike Vrabel reunion, okay? And, and you know what I think that'd be the perfect situation for? A bridge and a drafted player. Because as we've watched Jordan Love, I kind of wonder if the Jordan Love thing's going to change the way people – I'm not saying he's the first guy, but Mahomes sat a while, okay? Draft and stash. Draft and stash, man. You know, like these guys, I really do want to do a study of every guy that hit over the last, like, 30 years and figure out how, what's the commonality in the process for these guys. And the, the longer guys wait, I think it's better. And I, I think, like, if you had an assurance, if I was a head coach and I was Mike Vrabel and I had the coordinator I liked, I would go somewhere if I was picking within range of one of these guys everybody thinks is, is, is special, but I look at them like lotto tickets. Um, you know, I, I would say, hey, well, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to draft a bridge and, and we're going to sit Caleb Williams or Drake May for a year at, at least. And we're going to try to be competitive in a division right now and increase the vibes, and when this guy's ready, he's ready. Because to me, it's not about maximizing the rookie deal. It's about protecting the asset. Because if that asset is protected, we're not talking about a rookie deal. We're talking about a decade with a franchise. You know, and that's how you find your guy. You know, so anyways, the other thing is the Arthur, Arthur Blank um, press conference, which I watched today. It's, like, very long. It's not the most exciting. I kind of prefer the... The you're in and you're out, Amy Adams Strunk, public access TV style, six-minute video. Arthur was up there with McKay for like an hour and a half. And they, they answer all the questions. I think Arthur seems like a great guy. McKay's obviously an executive that a lot of people really like, but Atlanta fans, I'm sure, after a while, you're like, what does he do here? I, I know he's well-respected. I know he's been a part of – I mean, fuck, he hired Tony Dungy. Okay. But when you look at that Atlanta track record, and I thought there wasn't anything, I think Arthur's pretty good at saying a lot without giving you much. I don't think that there was anything revelatory out of that press conference, but I do think the, if you're a smart Falcons fan or you pay attention to the Falcons, like you probably picked up on a couple things, but one of them that hit him right in the face was the Lamar question, which they were one of the couple teams last year that when, when you know, Baltimore slapped that tag on Lamar, there were five teams that were like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, I've never seen any, anybody be like, you know, like, I, I don't want to win. And I'm, I'm going to announce it. And you didn't ask, but I'm going to announce it. And that's because the owners didn't want to play in this, like, guaranteed money area. And, you know, Cleveland made it possible for him to ask for this stuff. And they kind of broke the bro code, so to speak, between those billionaires. But um, – and maybe, maybe nobody was actually going to be able to beat Baltimore because that was the, you know, like you actually had to beat Baltimore, right? And that was something that McKay said is the Lamar Jackson thing, we'd probably offered him something. Baltimore would have beat the offer. We'd have been an hour from signing him and throwing a party and, you know. But to me, that's not, that's not a reason, right? You take a shot. I don't, think, I don't think you have to explain to Desmond Ritter why you're doing that, right? Yeah. Um, I think your team would, would be appreciative of you trying to win now. And then Arthur, who in the spring, I believe, said, we don't, we don't, wanna, we don't want to g 
give one guy 25% of our cap space, right? Um, that was his reasoning. It's obvious about the guaranteed money and the bro code, but today he was like, we didn't have the cap space, period, which is untrue. Um, and he also said, like, we like raising our kids, our draft picks, and being able to re-sign them so they stay with the organization. But I think, it, you know, he, he, he actually said this out of his mouth. He was like, we decided to go with a younger player who's less expensive. Uh, you just say Desmond Ritter, and you decide to go with one-tenth the quarterback that you could have acquired in a trade, albeit like an unprecedented kind of deal. But to, to make that as like, that's your, that's, your, that's your reasoning for not going out to get Lamar Jackson. You know, you're worried about not being able to pay playmakers around him when the irony is that, like, literally this year, the one thing you had was some playmakers and a team and a vehicle that's ready to drive, and the guy can't drive. You know, you could have gotten fucking Jeff Gordon, uh, and you would have had to give up a lot. But, I, you know, to me, that's still that thing still stinks to high heaven. I think Atlanta's the one team, if you look back at a team, that if in a real-life situation there were teams vying for – for Lamar Jackson, like Carolina, even knowing what you know now, I don't know that Carolina, that, that Lamar would want to be in, in Carolina. Like, I don't think it would have been great. Look at what Bryce had to deal with. But Atlanta, there were some pieces there. Um, Those comments also make you wonder if Arthur Blank was kind of meddling in that starting quarterback situation. You know, he says we were going with the younger player, maybe like advocating for Desmond Ritter like those starting quarterback decisions seem strange justifying his you know justifying his position because I I haven't heard enough about what happened with that quarterback stuff this year to know but here's the one thing I will say about Arthur and trying to guess what him and McKay are going to do down there is like when you look at the coaches that they've hired in Atlanta he's actually had some good hires and I think he's a guy who's pretty well-respected and all that. Like, the Mike Smith hire was going really well for a while. Like, they were rolling. Um, the Dan Quinn hire, obviously, was going really well for, fuck, I, 20 games, 19 and a half games. I mean, for 19 and a half games, that thing. And, and for to be fair to Dan, the next year they go to the playoffs, and it's and he gave him a long rope to get out of there. But – Here's the thing that fucking is crazy to me with Arthur. Number one, they have not hired. I believe they've, fired, they've hired and fired now five coaches, not in, including interim head coaches. You had Jim Moore Jr. You had Bobby Petrino, who McKay was like, we don't even want to name this guy. They hate him so much. Um, you got Mike Smith. You got Dan Quinn and Arthur Smith. Okay. So what do these coaches all have in common besides being white as the driven snow? Not just that, guys. It's the fact that none of them were former head coaches. I mean, Bobby Petrino was a college coach, right? He was at uh, Louisville, and that's how he got the job. And then he skated for, for Arkansas. But none of them are former head coaches, which is why sometimes I wonder after like five iterations of your way of doing it, if you're like – and they've hired a lot of defensive coaches, at least – Three out of five of these guys are defensive coaches. But when, when you look at it, don't you think they're having a conversation and saying, maybe we should try something else this time? And so I don't know if Bill or Jim Harbaugh or some of these really hot names that are big-time coaches that have coached at the pro level as a head coach are at the top of their list. I don't think there's a, you know, a coincidence that those are names that are being speculated down there. Um, 
I also think Vrabel would be a great fit. If they like defensive coaches, you know, if they like guys who are culture guys more so, Mike Vrabel would be a great pick, but I wonder how meddling McKay is. You know, you talk about guys that want to buy the groceries and cook dinner. Um, also, weird ways that these guys have left the Atlanta Falcons. First, Jim Mora Jr. gets on the radio with, I think, a few weeks left in the season, or he's still a coach of the Atlanta Falcons, and the guy asks him if the Washington job opens up, would he take it? And he goes, in a heartbeat, I'd take the Washington job. And then later backtracks and says he's, gonna, he's joking. But he, I guess he wasn't joking. Uh, Jim Mora Jr. left that way. Uh, the next guy was Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino, after the season, says, I'm coming back. Now they go 3-13. and 13. They bring him in to be a quarterback whisperer. Instead, he ends up being Mr. Road Rash a year later at Arkansas. Well, the way he got there was he says, I'm coming back. 24 hours later, he jumps ship for Arkansas. Like, that barely ever happens in the NFL. Uh, the next one is Mike Smith. They go 13-3. and three. The next year, they're 2-14, and 14 and he's gone. You know, like, uh, Dan Quinn's up 28-3. And then what happened happens. And then finally, with Arthur Smith, you get... You get three years of seven and ten, pick an eighth, they're in purgatory. But it ends with that meltdown on the field um, over the, uh, the, uh, the kneel down situation. So it's always a shit show in Atlanta. I don't know what they're going to do, but just something interesting from that press conference I thought was the, 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 uh, the Lamar stuff because that, that surfaced again. I don't know if that was on his – I don't know if that was on Arthur's prep list, but it should have been because the guy's the MVP this year, and they were basically having a yard sale. And, yeah, you had to pay cash, but it's, I mean, anyways. A couple teams I'm scratching my head. All right, well, without further ado, I think we need to get, oh, one last thing with the coaches. The Chargers, I just noticed this. The Chargers have interviewed, I think, uh, who is it now? They've requested interviews with Dan Quinn, um, Raheem Morris, Raheem Morris, yeah. Aaron Glenn, ben and Aaron Johnson. Glenn. There's a lot of defensive names. Okay, you know, you you mentioned some offensive names, but I think the first three they're they're going to interview are are defensive guys, and I kind of wonder. Steve Wilkes as well, another defensive guy. Steve Wilkes, and you know, like number one, I always say this. I hope people aren't making a mockery of the Rooney Rule, right? But it's really hard to to litigate this stuff, right? Like, what's a an honest interview? Uh, the reason I say that is not because of the quality of these coaches. These are good coaches. I, I say that because I don't think they're going to – I don't think they're going defense again. Like, they're not going defense again. You're not – you can't the, go back to defense. Not with this quarterback, not with what you just had. And so, kind of interesting, when we were talking about this, why do you do something like that? A lot of these interviews are fact-finding expeditions, you know. Um I've heard coaches talk about this before, going to do an interview and having to, like, guard their secrets, give, give people enough to be attractive in the, the event that they're actually being interviewed, but not give them enough so that when they play each other down the line, you know something about these people, uh, but more so you want self-scouting. Like, how would you fix our problems? Hey, how would you fix, how would you fix this burning building? And, like, then the foremost experts, like, you get some firemen in there, and they're like, you know fuck, dude, like, you need a smoke detector here. 
and you're like, oh, Spanos is like, oh, I didn't think about that. And then you try to fix it the next go around. So it's kind of interesting watching like the mechanics of these these meetings and you know like some some team like the chargers i'm like what are you doing no you're not you're not going defense but and they, d- they did request an interview with uh, the bengals offensive coordinator brian callahan callahan me and Nolan were talking about that i think i think he's going to be a pretty hot name and yeah. i think the stretch of football that they just played you know everything he'd been through this year you had to change the offense a little bit because of joe right and his injury early then mm-hmm. you got into you know the swing of things that offense was Browning was a lot made better. Browning look good. And I think he had a big hand in making Browning look look very capable. So a lot of coaching stuff happening. Um, we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the week. I did talk to Rich for a while. Here's Rich. Whatever you're looking forward to this football season, there's one thing that pairs well with every great moment, and that is an ice-cold Miller Lite. Whether you're at the stadium playing fantasy football, or watching the game at home, or at the bar, Miller Lite is here to make your football season taste like Miller time. From kickoff to the clock runs out, you can't go wrong with the Miller Lite in your hand. It's the only light beer with a taste worthy of our national obsession. Because what's the point of having beer if it doesn't taste like beer? I go to Dirty Nelly's every weekend. Sometimes I'm prepping for the show at the bar on Saturday night watching a little college football, getting ready to lay out our Miller Lite moments. Uh, I like to have a nice cold Miller Lite right next to me. And the folks at Dirty Nellies, they know when I get there to have my ice cold Miller Lite. It's got only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounce serving with a smooth taste and a crisp, clean finish. You get the taste you crave without the calories. So this season, crack open a light beer that hits your taste buds so hard, you feel it in your heart. Make it Miller time all season long. Get Miller Lite delivered right to your door. Visit MillerLite.com Greenlight. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounces. So, Rich. Yes, sir. I'm sure it's not the first time today you've gloated. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give you an opportunity to gloat. I don't even, I don't even have a question. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know about gloating, you know. Um, I, I I I don't know how to act straight up. Uh didn't think uh I'd be in uh, uh you know, always hoped I'd be a national champion in football. Um I I was hoping that Harbaugh would uh would come back to Michigan and restore us to prominence and do what he did um this year and last night. Um and I, I can't believe that it is a a reality. Um, and so, uh, the gloating comes beating with, by beating Ohio state. Right. Uh, I I have no quarrel with Washington. Uh, obviously beating Alabama is one of those, um, signpost moments. Um, and certainly I, I always was infuriated by the, the SEC slogan of it just means more as if it means shit to me. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean as much to me. Like, how dare you? Um, I always found that a little bit uh, off, put 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 me off. Um, but obviously beating Alabama and Nick Saban, that is the ultimate, even though Georgia fans will sit there and say you didn't you didn't beat us and and uh, we were the last one to beat you and you you couldn't make it a rematch last year because you couldn't beat TCU. I get it. But we beat everyone in front of us, uh, 15 and 0, and needed to do it. Uh, needed to do it, certainly since 
the Connor Stallion stuff uh, gave everyone, certainly all of my friends in Columbus, the standing to try and wipe out the entire two previous years of accomplishments. Um, even though there's no proof what Connor Stallions was able to get with his cell phone camera army uh, was actually uh, put into practice so uh, expertly and uh, with without any, uh, I guess, um, hesitation that nothing was uh, going to be a problem. Um, so put it all together, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm a happy camper, Chris. Has Danny Cannell reached out to grant you a legitimate championship? Dude, well, I, I don't really, uh, I mean, I I don't really uh, pay much heed, but I, I do see every now and then he gets uh, tweeted into my timeline. What do you say? What tweeted do you say? Into, I love that. Tweeted into my timeline. He gets he tweeted into my timeline too. Uh, no, no, no. I haven't seen anything he said in the past couple of days, but I've, you oh, know, okay. like I, I understand the Florida state thing. They're upset and the whole thing yes. and, and, and Bama not looking, but I, I think also to y'all's credit, you kick Bama's ass, you know, for, for much of the game. And so, yes. you know, that was more about you than it was an unworthy opponent, I think. And, and, and so I, I look at what you guys did on the biggest stage after watching Penix and what they did to Texas, that defense is in another class, the things that they made Penix do last night. So I think it's awesome. And I think you guys want it. And, you know, I know the stallions thing is the first thing that you might think about because you guys have been defense mode this year. Yes. I don't think there's anything illegitimate about it. I think it's it's incredible. Well, and if anything, what it, what's great about it is it signals a new age. I mean, I'm not saying a Big Ten school's never won the national championship before, but for me, a casual, you want to see more parity, relatively speaking. You love the way the playoff had two very competitive first-round games. That's not a foregone conclusion. Any year we've had the playoff. And we're going to expand. And I think it's cool that some other teams are getting a bite of the apple. And for you... Not that you guys have some, you know, broke history where you, you have a rich history, but it did feel like as a casual, there's these teams and then there's like the Michigans. Mm -hmm. And so now it doesn't, it feels like you're part of that, that club now in, in, in this era of football. Which oh, it is feels really great, cool. man. I appreciate really cool. so congratulations. I, uh, I, I, I honestly, I got like a hundred texts last night from people as if I played um because you know because <laughs> they do know how much it means and you know again uh i i understand where, where michigan standing is in so many people's minds you know we have a thousand and four wins now all time and yeah but how many banners do you have how many championships do you have you don't really belong in the conversation of elite football programs because it's all empty calories all those wins mm -hmm. uh now you can't say it can't say it and certainly harbaugh being the one to do it um, in this day and age of name, image, and likeness and transfer portals and how uh, recruiting has changed. And again, now it's going to change in terms of the way a, a college football playoff stage is set. Um, it, it just does feel like an end of an era uh, and that Michigan won the last game of that era. So what's what's the inverse of that moment last night for you as a Michigan fan? Now that you can probably like fully admit your oh, lowest yeah. moments. Oh, lowest moments was losing to Appalachian State in yeah, the first game bad. in the history of Big Ten Network. Which, that was you Jake know, Long. That was a Jake Long era. That was my brother's dude, era. App State was brutal. It was just brutal. Um, and uh, and led to the uh, end of Lloyd Carr's tenure and then brought in Rich Rod, which brought in uh, Brady Hoke, who I really liked personally, mm -hmm. um, and then had to bring in Harbaugh and all of our excitement over Jim 
um, at least my excitement, because I, I started my show started in 2014. Um, you know, the, the show that you're kind enough to join every single Monday. We started in 2014. And the story that I talked about the most in October of 2014, when we launched was um, Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers and how that relationship seemed to be falling apart. And if he was looking for his next stop, maybe Michigan was that spot. And everybody said, forget it. That's never happening. And uh, I kind of feel like I helped speak it into existence. And uh, so I was uh, as excited as any. Because again, as I started my show today, the first quarterback of, of my entire Michigan fandom, because again, I was a New York City kid from Staten Island. I didn't know anything about Big Ten football and didn't know anything about Michigan football until I arrived on campus. Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback my freshman year. So he All was right. my first quarterback and he was the guy who helped get me into Michigan football. And so I was genuinely excited. And then the Michigan state game happened where we were ready to finally turn the tables on, on uh, D'Antonio and Michigan state. And that, that punt happened. All I, I remember where I was. That was one of those moments. Even if you're not a Michigan fan or Michigan state fans, I remember, I remember where I was for that. I remember where, where were you for those two moments, app state. And then that, that app state was, I was in a summer rental, um, um, and, um, in Malibu. Um, I will never set foot in that place again. I don't even want to think about it. Uh, honestly, I need that poltergeist woman to come in and clean the hey, house. Do a seance, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'd say the house is clean. And then uh, the Michigan State was in the room where I was uh, where I was um, watching last night's national championship game, um, and I and I kind of felt like um, you know I, the house that I'm sitting in right now I bought it from a Michigan State graduate, and I thought this place was haunted, and um, <laughs> and 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 I just couldn't believe it because it was again what Ohio State fans and Michigan State fans had so much glee in talking about in Harbaugh's first half of his tenure was that not going to work? You know, yeah. your your savior is not your savior. Your yeah. savior is not a good coach at the collegiate level. He's not going to relate to kids. He's just, he's not your guy. Um, and the results against Michigan State and Ohio State were proving that out in their minds more than not and placed a significant amount of doubt in the minds of so many Michigan fans. Uh, and I'm proud to say I never went on my show and saying Jim's got to go. I really? never said that, never once. Never twitched in that direction. Never even thought of twitching in that direction, because I did believe in him. Um, and and it does appear that you know in the um, in the COVID year of 2020, uh, when everything completely fell to its 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 total bottom, um, 2021 he made a decision to try and change around his coaching staff and change around the way that he uh, approached the the uh, the kids that he's coaching. And Aiden Hutchinson led the led the change. He led the sea change, and uh, and here we are, uh, obviously having to get the quarterback right. And JJ McCarthy is kind of in Jim's mold, and Jim being his spirit animal. Um, and now, and he's twenty seven and one in his two years yeah. as starter at Michigan. So uh, you can't really argue with any of this. It's pretty amazing, and um, and I'm I'm ecstatic. I'm over the moon, man. So I'm sold on the the McCarthy and Harbaugh relationship, but spirit animal, I could never see Jim meditating. You know, sitting in the sitting at the the I couldn't see Jim sitting the, still. I know. You know what I mean? That watching him after the game last night, I don't know if it yeah. struck you, but like he's a different dude. You know, like oh he I've is. Always, he coached in in the NFC West. We've talked about this, but like he was on the other sideline. He was this guy of intrigue that I was like, what makes this guy fucking tick? 
he's so different. Like I, you socially, he's just out there. The whole thing, you know, they, they interview him after the game and there's almost a sense of like, I'm not surprised. I'm excited. I'm not surprised. This is it what's the next challenge? You know, like he's just, he's a dog it's with his bone. own world. He he's lives on world. planet gym. He lives on yeah. planet gym. So explain and, and, that to me, his personality. Yeah. Does anybody understand his, but like, what do people so. say about the guy they fell in love with in Michigan? Because you, you thought the book on him was he wears people out and then, you know, like he'll be gone in five years. But to your point, like it lasted way longer than that in Michigan. Oh yeah. I was told, you know, Hey, uh, he's kind of like a, uh, uh, um, a 21st century parcels wins yeah. wherever he goes, changes the culture, wherever he goes successfully, but um, will not stay for longer than a couple of contracts because things always change in his mind or it doesn't go well enough for him in his mind. Um, and so this is, this is a, this is a different tale that's being told right yeah. now that yeah. he's got, he's a champion and he, he can write his ticket. Yeah. I mean, Michigan would love to keep him. Um, and he could write his ticket in Ann Arbor. And I can only imagine the number of NFL teams that will be um, all over him. They probably already are, you know, yeah. um, as you and I are talking. And he'll he'll write his ticket. He'll be able yeah. to look at his wife in the, in, um, you know, in the eye at whatever, you know, uh, family powwow there is. Lay it all out on the table and say, where do we want to live? Where do we want the kids to grow up? Where do you want to live? Where do you want to you know, live out uh, the final years of my coaching career, um, you know, and, and then, and then make that choice. And how many, how many people in our profession, in the coaching profession, or in our profession media wise, get to choose such a thing, you know, it's so rare. um, That's what makes him the wild card. Cause he just like in any situation. Of course you you could see him as the coach of the chargers. You could see him as the coach of the Raiders. I could see him as the coach of Carolina. I could see him uh, as the coach of Michigan right now. You know, I could see him as the coach of Tennessee. You know, I I could, I could absolutely see him if he wants to go to, uh, to Nashville. I I don't know if he wants to, uh, if he's got the trade in those Cartier glasses for some cowboy boots. I guess I, I also don't know if he's got the Manning in him. And by that, I mean, you know, Peyton, when he had a, a chance the first time in his life to choose wherever he wanted to go and ride his ticket, uh, he did not want to go um, to a team in the NFC. Right. Because he did not want to prevent his brother from making a Super Bowl. Right. I mean, if he ever faced him in a Super Bowl, That's that would be one thing. But he yeah. didn't want to prevent his brother from doing that. So uh, the likelihood of Jim taking on John in a divisional playoff round as the head coach of the Chargers with Justin Herbert and that happening next year is very high. Yeah. The chance of another Harbaugh happening if he goes to the NFC isn't as significant, you know, right. and I'm sure that's the one thing about Jim that losing a Super Bowl, there's only one silver lining is that it's his brother who did win it. Uh, I'm assuming you uh, kind of wonder with that. I had Kelsey on my pod after the the Super Bowl where he beat Travis, and mm-hmm. I don't. I think it almost makes it worse. Maybe you know Maybe. if we're being honest, because like you know, every, every, I mean, you've, that's a you've real thing. It. It's a real thing. It's different I, to every sibling, but there, it's it's non-zero. Well, you could tell me. I mean, your 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 brother uh, oh. spent years in the NFL. My brother is just the premier tax and estate <laughs> lawyer in all of America. By the way, I, yeah, is he? Yeah, I mean, if you ever need your estate plan, 
Really? Jeff Eisen is the guy. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's a good, I'm not kidding, good, by the way. It's always a good thing to do, you know? I kind of... So, I, so there's there's no... I can't relate. You know, he yeah. he, he can't host the three-hour yeah. show, and I sure can't do what he's doing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, I can't yeah. relate in that rivalry. So Well, okay, so this is a question I've asked a lot of uh, the fans that, that kind of visit our uh, YouTube pages for, like, exclusive interviews with their favorite player and their favorite team. I want to know. I want to get to know fan bases. How about Michigan fans? Here's my question to you. Had you been able to go back in time last night or at the next national championship um, and you've got a suite, you got five tickets and you can fill this suite with whoever you want from, you know, this, this vast pool of Michigan alumni, it could be athletes. They could be famous people. And you got, you got food, you got booze. It's just going to be a good time. You want personalities, but people. So it can't be, it can't be, it can't be my friends or fraternity. It's not friends. It's got to be people that people know. I appreciate you not putting me in that spot. So it's got to be five people from, from Michigan. Yeah. You guys figure out, you got a lot of them. We, after Tina Fey and like Edgar Allan Poe, he's not around anymore. uh, It'd be harder for me. Okay. Um, Well, I, I, Ralph I, Sampson can't fit in the door, you know, like I, I have it. a harder, you know what I mean? Uh, I got to go Jeter, who is that he had a cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why he was there last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he used the I think he used Michigan's baseball program as leverage to get more money from Steinbrenner. Yeah, that's good. that's good. I think if I if I didn't if I had a guess, that was the play there. Um, so I'll take Jeter as one. Um, Charles Woodson would ha- would bring the wine, he'd bring the bourbon, he'd bring the cigars, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd bring the swag. Desmond will just bring just everyone's happy around Desmond. Um, obviously, TB12 has got to come in there too. Yeah, we can't uh, we can't snub him. Are you kidding me? No. I mean, get out of here. You know that's four. Jeez. Is he the coolest teammate you ever had? He's. I mean, relative to his, I was talking Not about. Not to put you on the spot. I, I was but. talking to Jay Cutler about this last night. You know, inside the NFL, we're watching that game and we're talking about quarterbacks relating to the locker room. And I think he came up with Justin Fields because the guys like him, and we were factoring that into that conversation. And he asked me about Tom, and it was almost a rhetorical question. He was like, "Did Tom hang out with the guys?" And I was like, "Yeah, Tom, for the level of celebrity that Tom Brady is, to to treat." a guy like me or some of the other guys I saw him interact with, with respect and go above and beyond. I mean, I wasn't going to go have a beer with him. I don't think he was at, at that stage in his career. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like if you ran into Tom in Foxborough, I think if there were an opportunity to do an E60 on like 24 year old Tom, the guy that actually got hangovers that went out to the the local dives that had the, the fuller face, you know, that Tom that was going through the rigors of the NFL before he was Tom Brady. I think that's that'd be a really interesting chapter to learn more about him because the things I hear about him is like total dude's dude. And then you get there and you see that dude's dude, but packaged in a 43-year-old man, his body. And, you know, he's got kids. And, and in the NFL, Rich, when you get older, it's like two locker rooms. You try to coexist as one, but it becomes yeah. increasingly harder to do everything together. You know, and that that's why part of the reason why that college thing's so special, because because when you go home, you go home with your buddies, you go home to your house, you guys share a house. And then the pros, it's like after about 28 guys start needing to get permission. So Tom, not a guy I hung out with a lot outside the facility, but I will tell you this. This was really cool. I ran into him at the Super Bowl like two years later 
yeah. and ran into him under like a carport at, at the Super Bowl. And, you know, you see so many people at the Super Bowl. There's almost a code like, do I go up and say anything to this guy? Even if I know him, it's Tom. He's getting bothered. People are staring at him. I, I didn't even I made eye contact with him. He walked over to me, me, you know, from mm -hmm. 20 yards away and called Giselle over. He's like, I don't think you ever met Chris. This is my old teammate. I love this guy. You know, it's like I played there for a year. Um, when I walked in the door, the first guy that talked to me, one of them was Tom, you know, I think oh, I've told right. this story before where he's like, nice to meet you. I'm Tom. Welcome. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> I know who the fuck you are. You know what I mean? Well, it's that's like, cool though. You know, that's, that's cool. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and some people might think like, that's him putting on airs, you know it's what not. I mean? Or like, it's not, it's not, not. it's just, and, and uh, just the people that I've, I've met who are, have reached that level of insane fame, right? Yeah. just probably deep down lament not being one of the guys as much anymore right and 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 lament even going out with the guys because they can't just be one of the guys around those guys when they yeah. go out and about when everybody just goes flocks to him and there's a table of his teammates standing right there and um and and he feels kind of lame yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, 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 that they all come to me and wait, wait a minute. These are my guys. You should talk to them too. It's and you're fucking up really, the hang. You're, you're fucking yes. up the hang because you're boys and you can't just sit there. So it's kind of a prison. It's a prison that nobody's it, empathetic towards I, of know, course. the occupant of the prison. Yes. But it is a prison nonetheless. And which is and why I think his, his moment of being taken home by what Gabbert was it yeah. Gabbert and Trask. Right, that was coming. so humanizing. It was the most humanized Tom Brady and relatable Tom Brady, maybe in the history of Tom Brady. It's just like, yeah, you know what? This is his cheat day when he's yeah. flipping the Lombardi Trophy from one boat to another, <laughs> you know, and his his daughter's there screaming, "Dad, no!" And yeah, he's having his avocado tequila, damn straight, and he's but it's gonna tequila. You know what? Exactly, but and and yeah. If I tried to not drink 355 days a year and got Here smashed on tequila at 12 in the afternoon on the water, that's what I would look like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's what I would look like. And my body's not a temple. Actually, so, dude, I love that's it. That's one of the most humanizing things Tom's done. They're all in the last five years, by the way. But uh, right. but the other one was uh, was probably the the match. Like some of the shots he hit were fucking, and I'm not even a golfer, but some of the shots he hit were human shots. They were yeah, like, and so the I one felt. time in your life, you, you as a middle-aged man sitting on the couch being like, yeah, Tom Brady, you're not that good at that. I know that guy. Yeah. You're not that good at <laughs> it's that. It's like looking in a mirror. Same thing. And I know. I'm, yeah, so, so relatable. So yeah, obviously so, I'd want him. I'd want him in the suite. That's, that's four, I think. So I got one more. Yeah. Uh, how about Madonna? No way. Yeah. Michigan? Yeah. You're kidding me. Here, let me show you something. I'm going to get up. Hold on. I'll be, I'll Wait, be right you've back. actually met. Hey, there's going to be some cool thing. You've met Madonna. Hold on. Here I am. So, Good. yeah, she had a cup of coffee at Michigan, too. Madonna. You're claiming, you're, you're claiming a lot of one and dones. I, I know. Well, you say, it, does it matter? Duke? I mean, what's the, what's the cutoff? No, there what's is the no cutoff? cutoff. There is no cutoff. You got to take one class. You got to get one credit. I don't know. So there's a hotel in Ann Arbor uh, that used to be called the Ann Arbor Inn where everybody stayed, you know, back in the day. And now this is where a lot of people stay on campus for, for, for football games if they're lucky to get a room on campus. 
It's now called the Graduate Hotel. Yeah, and um, we have one too. You have one, so yeah, we so, have one too. So you, I, I'm wondering if it's the same thing where they have I, I think it alums is. from the from the uh, from the school, and, and they put their their actual real photograph from their real student ID with their real signature oh, and their real old ID mm-hmm. on the card for the hotel. And I get this every now and then. People will text me out of the blue saying i checked into the graduate and i don't know if you could see it can you see that's me oh yeah that's you on a card on a oh, key that's sick. the hotel what yeah. year is that this is 1986 so who was famous on campus in 1986 i don't know like who were the athletes i certainly when were, wasn't when you famous, were in michigan when you were in michigan no, it was jim harbaugh it was harbaugh and the, and the basketball team was gary grant antoine joubert you know that was the team, and that what was, was you know, the word Bobby. on Harbaugh like out and out and about. Was Harbaugh at the oh, bar? No, I heard he did not do the bar scene. I, that does just, not surprise me, dude. I, no, I heard he did not do that. <laughs> this is not uh, but I never saw I never saw him out and about. But the funny thing is, that somebody tweeted out, you know, uh, one day this that th- this this card saying that they checked into uh, the graduate and got a Desmond Howard card and, and got outraged because they're an Ohio state fan that just happened to stay in the hotel. And they asked for a card of a non-athlete and got me. (laughs) (laughs) So I responded with my 40 yard dash saying, how dare you? How dare you? I have an athlete. Dare you? They're actually not speeding that up at all. That's how fast I'm running. Exactly. Uh, How dare you not say I'm an athlete? All right. So, so here's the deal. I mean, here's the deal. The Michigan thing's amazing. And I think for somebody like you, it's like, it's been good, good, good all day. But then somebody like Taylor Luan, I actually can't believe the swing of emotions for this guy. Right. And I had no idea because last night you had Michigan and then today is his coach gets fired. And I know, I know what that's like when you see your old coach get fired, especially when you love a guy like that. But I didn't know he was on your show when you broke it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interviewing him, and he's doing his his uh, his Taylor Lewan, uh Michigan pounding his chest thing, which is, you know, in all honesty, what I was hoping to see from him and get from him, in terms of a guest on the show. He was doing he was giving his A plus Taylor Lewan uh-huh. Michigan take, and my producer Mike Hoskins, my coordinating producer, gets in my ear and says, "Mike Vrabel was just fired," and I look over to my guy Chris Brockman across the way because he can hear what Hoskins is saying in my ear, and I look at him, and he looks at me. And I have this button, the talkback button, him, and I just lean into my microphone so nobody can see my lips move. I'm like, "Are you are you serious?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I could hear somebody saying something to Lawan off camera, and I'm thinking to myself in my head, "Okay, I want to keep talking about Michigan, but how in the world do I not bring up Rabel, his guy getting it's- bounced right now?" And sure enough, I I could hear in the background. I'm like, is somebody telling you what somebody just told me in my ear? And he goes, yeah, Will is trying to mouth something to me. And I'm like, I think it's it's Mike Vrabel just got let go. He's he, he he's not coming back. What did he and say? He looks, what was his what was his? And he looks at Compton and Compton. He's off camera and he goes, yeah, he couldn't believe it and rightfully so. Yeah. What the hell happened there? I don't know. You always know this. Um, that in the NFL, man, there's an iceberg and we just see the tip. We just see the tip. We, we just have I, no I, idea. I, I was talking about this with, with, 
you know, like that Arthur Blank question today about Lamar Jackson, those owners weren't going to make, you know, the five teams that as soon as they tagged him, yeah. they were like, we're out for the record. Four or five are looking for new head coaches. But um, Arthur Blank was asked about it today. And I thought, mm -hmm. I'm sitting there thinking, like, who knows how big of a sticking point that was between him and Arthur Smith or Fontenot and, and McKay. And you just never know, like, what's happening inside of building the power right. struggles and the, the preferences and who's actually doing more than they're supposed to be doing. And I think probably in Tennessee there were some ultimatums. And I think Vrabel strikes me as a guy that, number one, doesn't do ultimatums. That's why I like him so much. But number two... I think also he might know something about a position that's going to be open. And like, you know, I, if you're going to be telling me, I got to fire this person, I got to fire that person. Yeah. Or right. I have to do this. Well, fuck you. Because I know right. of other jobs that might be open. It might be perfect for me. And then the interesting thing with the Amy Adams strunk, uh, yeah. she, she threw that, that I don't want to say it's bizarre press conference, but did you see the set of the press conference? No. It looked like they just did it in the HR office. They put like a Tennessee Titans helmet in between two chairs and she got out in front of it because she knew it was so unpopular. But one of the things that struck me is they were talking about, would you have traded, you know, Vrabel? Because there were talks of that. And I didn't realize these guys have no trade clauses. So what's the point of even trying to trade a coach? Because what coach is ever going to be like, yeah, I'll go to that team. I agree to go to that team. And you're going to, you're going to drain my assets before I even get there. Exactly. That is. And that's why Belichick being traded somewhere else might add a, a certain, um, you know, uh, gear grind to that process that might be sped up. If, if the Patriots are one of those spots for Vrabel, I don't know. There's just so much speculation and obviously yeah. you and I just chit chatting about it. We could be way off. We have, we have sure. no idea. Uh, my only guess is, again, I had Vrabel on before the draft. And again, I know John Robinson, who made the trade, is gone, um, the general manager of the Titans. But this could have been from higher up. I, you never know. But I asked him before the draft two years ago um, it, it, about the rumor of A.J. Brown being traded. And he's like, I, 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 I will not be on it. He said some along the lines of like, um, we're not trading AJ Brown because I I don't want to be the the coach of a team that doesn't have AJ Brown is essentially what he said, right? You know, and and um, I'm I'm paraphrasing it, but that was the total gist. Yeah, like I, we're I I love that guy. We're not we're yeah. not trading him. And then sure enough, he gets traded, and you see the 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 result. The famous, there's been a lot a lot of video on social today of that moment caught on the on the draft cam of him just getting up and making that. That world, the the body language, the hitchhike of your pants. That's the body language of this sucks. Mm -hmm. Like I am not happy about this, mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering if that started a process, and then the general manager's gone. They bring in a new one. Um, I I, I don't know, but this guy, I mean, his answer to I believe the the uh, columnist's name is Gentry Estes is his name of the Tennessee, and last week when he asked him to follow up and give reasons why when Vrabel said there's many reasons why we want to win this game, the week 18 game against Jacksonville. And he asked him for the reasons and he looked at him and he goes, because losing fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. And then continued on to another uh, mm -hmm. question. And then you could see like, he wasn't ready to entertain the next question because his mind was still so angry about being asked something that is like, such why would you try to, to win profession. you know what i mean like it's such an affront <laughs> to him as a coach yeah. and he looked back at the guy he goes you got any other uh, theories on yeah. that gentry you know yeah. and then he just went on a soliloquy and then apologized for his language i love that guy man i did too. I would be the coach of my team every patriot fan i know wants him 
every Buckeye fan I know wants him. Oh um, yeah, there is that. I, I I I mean I I I I don't even know yeah. what the hell happened there, but it stunned me. And we were on live uh, uh, air today when uh, when uh, Lawan learned of it, and it's that video, as you might imagine, is uh, is being well viewed because it's just uh, it's unvarnished, it's unexpected, and um, it's it's wild. It is just wild. Have you had moments where you're doing your show live? I'm sure you've had a bunch of them where it was like the guest that was on or the topic was just so shocking and sudden. Maybe something not too dark to share. Not like somebody died, but um, well, there's two, there's two moments, moments? That, that there's two moments that 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 uh, leap to mind. The first one, uh, they both from the very early part of my of my show years and years and years ago. Um, we had uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper on mm. the show and he was live and you could see he was not of the soundest of mind and was just saying whacked out stuff to the point where I, I don't even recall the exact things that he was saying, but it was the first ever viral video in the history of my show, which was only on, on the uh, audience network, which was in-house on direct TV, only in about 12 million homes with, you know, YouTube wasn't a significant distribution, um, uh partner yet um and that went viral and he the reason why i went viral is he died two days yeah. later oh two days and, later yeah i was it was the last interview of his life no um way. and it was wild man and it, it made his it, there's documentaries you, you could see some uh documentaries on him and wwe and we, on occasion we still get requests hey can can we license that video for for that interview uh it was wild um and um so that was that moment yeah. um and another moment back in the day um you know well i'm still on a radio simulcast but for some reason the clock there's a clock when you do a live radio show where you must take three breaks in that clock you have to take breaks for the radio affiliates to to pay their bills so the radio clock was take a break at 15 minutes after in, in between 15 and 20 minutes after as a host of the show, you have, you know, the leeway of when to place that break and the same thing between 40 and 45 uh, after the hour. And there was one 60 second break that you had to take at the bottom of the hour, right around the 30 minutes into the hour mark. And I, I, I really didn't like that one because it's just 60 seconds, but you'd have to stop an interview. Like imagine you and I are talking right now. It's a, we're, we're, we're vibing and you're like, hold on a second. Let's just keep, hold that thought. We got to take a 60 second break and come back. And that's so what I you do. Our guest is blah, blah, blah. You do the reminder thing. Right, exactly. That, but yeah. it, 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 I, I didn't like it. Cause you know, th th that's in a 20 minute period where you can have a long interview, but you have to stop at midway right. through. And I hated it. I hated it. Yeah, it sucks. Except the one time we had Mike Tyson on. And uh, Tyson's a guest, and I ask him a question that I ask a lot of retired athletes. Um, how, how much could you give me right now if we put you back in the ring, is what I asked him. I'll ask a football player, how many snaps can you give me right, now, right after you retired? Right. So I asked Mike Tyson, you know, if I put you in the ring, how many rounds could you go? And he goes, oh, I don't want to think about that. And I thought to myself in the back of my head, he doesn't want to think about that because, you know, he he just doesn't want to hurt whoever's in there because I could de destroy whoever it is. No, he says, I don't want to think about that. I said, why not? He goes, because put, putting me back in the ring makes me think about when I was a fighter and that puts me in a very dark place and I don't want to go to a dark place. 
at which point I'm like, well, we'll take a break. And <laughs> you're like, we'll be back in 60 seconds. Okay. <laughs> like that was the perfect time for that 60 second break. The one time I was happy to have that 60 second break. Let's take a break. Mom. You come back. Get- okay. He did. I'm he like, did. dude, uh, he's got to be a top five scary guy to, to, even though he's so cool now. Like, he just seems so like he's got it together. But there are people that would, it would scare me to interview. You just had Bill Burr on. We've talked about this before. Yeah. I guess it's yeah. your guy, maybe. You yeah. know Bill a little bit? Uh, well, I mean, he he texted me about uh, the Wolverines because he's got family, uh, a part oh. of his family's from Michigan. So he's got a little bit of love for the uh, Wolverines. And um, so he's been texting me about the games. You know, he went to the Rose Bowl. And I've been texting him back. And then last night after we win, he just texted me like, woo. And I said, you want to, you want to zoom in? God, that's funny. He's like, cool. sure. But, but it's scary. The, the comedians scare me as much as Mike Tyson to interview comedians. I know we've, t- I think we've talked oh, I, about this before because you're a comic background. Yeah. I love comedians. I love oh. them too, but you never know what's going to, you never know the vibe. You never know what the vibe's going to be. I know, but uh, they're, mm. you know, uh, as, as long as you just sit back and let them tell stories and, uh occasionally play straight man and uh set him up there it uh, there's no i I love comedians i love talking to comics i love mining their brains the way that they work um you know late night television shows the lifeblood of uh the guest list always have been comics from johnny carson to david letterman um and so that's the type of show i love to fashion even though it's on in the morning um or early afternoon depending on where you're watching it in america or listening to it I love comedians. I will always have them on. I will always be interested in what they have to say. I have nothing but respect for them. I did stand-up comedy in college uh, at the student union in Michigan. Uh, easily the toughest thing I've ever had to do. And I, I love them. I will Look, dude, always We had have Jeff Garland on, your guy. And he was yeah. uh, he was amazing. But there was a yeah. five-minute period where I'm like feeling him out. Because, you know, like these guys are really bright. Sure. And I think artists and comedians, they don't like presumptuous questions. They don't like questions that pin them or put them in a box. And sometimes you can ask those questions unintentionally. So I just feel like you're a little bit careful when you first meet one of them. Oh, yeah. Jeff Jeff was great. Another guy that was really disarming was your guy, Brian Baumgartner, who I went on his pod recently. And my thread was, hey, I'm on Rich's show a lot. Guy was incredible. He was awesome. He's but, awesome. You know, some and, of these funny, intelligent people can be a little bit intimidating. So uh, you're right. Um, and I get it. And, and Garland can be a total wild card. I mean, yeah. the number of times he's come on my show and absolutely shit on Chris Berman, who he hates. He hates, you know, Chris and it puts, yeah, he took, he, oh, yeah. Not a bit. He, he does. Yeah. No. He just, and he'll just, he'll just, he'll just come out what else and say, this guy hate. Fucking I, I don't know. I mean, he, like he, he will always tell you what he likes and what he doesn't like. And that's Jeff Garland. And, yeah. and that's the, uh, those are the eggs you got to break to make the omelet, man. All yeah. right. So, so, so two things before in, you know, Rich, you've been so generous with the time, man. Uh, but I, I, I just wanted to ask about, about NFL international, because yeah. I was remarking to my guys here before he came on, this is the best super wild card weekend. Not, there's a lot to choose from in the last you know, it's not like a long line of super wild card weekends, but I think it's it's so well done. The, the way the teams fell this year, you got the big markets playing each other, the Dallas, Green Bay, you got the Flacco, and then juxtaposed with a CJ Stroud over here. Yep. And, you know, even the shittiest game is Philly Tampa. It's got it's a big market game. So I think they hit it out of the park this year. Um, they took Christmas. 
I was asking what's next. Is it, is it inevitably international? Do you, what are the big hurdles? Cause you've been over there oh, doing games. Sure. Every year. I mean, Christmas is not, I mean, Christmas is coming in the middle of the week next year. So I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but what the NFL has done is really smart in December is when college football seeds, seeds, the ground, they, they, they take it. Yeah. Um, you know, once, once the, um, conference championships are done, um, there's, there's the second weekend, usually of December and third weekend of December and the, the league just jumps on it. Um, and, um, you know, the reason why the league doesn't play on Friday nights is still the, uh, the legislation that was passed, I believe in the Nixon administration, giving the league an antitrust exemption, but the, the, uh, the price of admission was they were not allowed to ever put games on a Friday night during high school seasons to ever go against high school football, that that was inviolate. And that is still to this day, which is why the Black Friday game started at three in the afternoon. So, because uh, trust me, Amazon would want that game on at night. Can't do it because it's still on during some high school football seasons oh, on Thanksgiving weekend. crazy. So, so there's a lot of moving parts, but uh, obviously if Christmas or Christmas Eve falls on a weekend or a Monday, uh, next year it's Tuesday and a Wednesday. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I, but the league is going to keep on, you know, putting their markers on those Saturdays and sun Saturday, um, evenings, Saturday afternoons, triple headers, double headers, when college football seeds, the ground, yeah. um, it, you know, certainly now that bowl season has been completely neutered by, by what's going on with the college football playoffs in terms of international uh, games. Uh, I don't think they'll ever put a team, uh, and base them abroad. It's just impossible. It doesn't work. You, I mean, how many of your colleagues would would move to Europe? You know, move their family. Well, the young ones with no family. Maybe, yeah. It comes but, back I mean, to but that, still, that, you know, just, it just doesn't work. Nor logistics. does it work com competition wise. It just doesn't. You, you can't compete. You know, uh, and have a, a level playing field in terms of the competition when when one one team is six hours behind or in front of the other. It just doesn't work. So what I think they're going to do is just keep adding locations. This year, I believe it's Brazil that's coming up. Keep adding different locations until there's going to be, I believe, um, a, a, a whole bunch of international games that can be sold as a package. Yeah. You know, there's a fourth window of football. I hear from so many people, you know, when the Germany games and the London games hit, that there's a 9.30 a.m. Eastern time window that leads to the one window, to the four window, to the seven, I mean, the eight o'clock window. People love the four windows of football. Yeah. And, and I think the league digs that. But I also think they appropriately and rightfully want to sell their sport internationally. The NBA is already way ahead of the NFL. Um, and there are tons of fans and expats all over the world that love the NFL. And the 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 crowds are amazing. They are yeah. Super Bowl worthy. Ask TB12 when you see him next about Munich and what he will tell you about Munich. Same thing with Pete Carroll about Munich. The the London crowds are lit and they also know the game. It's not like they cheer when there's a fumble 15 seconds after the whistle because they think there's a turnover. They get it. Yeah. So um, it's knowledgeable. The fans are awesome. They're intense. The league loves the different locations. Uh, I just don't think it's ever going to happen where the a team is hit. I just think you're going to see like eight to 10 international series games a year. And that'll just be another package that the league can sell to a partner that wants to show the world off to the fans. Dude, in the meantime, I get rich eyes and calling games. That's good. I know I've told you this before, but I, Thanks, I do man. enjoy hearing you guys call those games. The last question for you, Rich, because the draft is going to be here before we know it. Obviously, that's going to be mm -hmm. the next thing we fill the calendar with after, after the combine and whatever else we're going to do before that. 
first day of the league year, all this shit. But the draft, I always notice you're sitting there and you're running the show, but you don't get to give your opinion about a prospect directly as much, right? Like right. by design, you know, like you're, you're the host of the show, but I know you have opinions and I know you're sitting there and probably biting your tongue at times. No, no. Have you, have you, but have you, have you ever like held it in when you were like, that guy's not going to be very good? No, I don't. I will never, honestly, that's not my role. Yeah. My role is not, I'm not an all 22 guy. I am not deep in the rosters of, of all 300 colleges. I'm just not. And I don't think that's my role. My, my role on a draft coverage is the following. I think I, I might've, I don't know if I've told this to your audience before, but it, it is, it is the following. It is to keep things moving, to keep things entertaining to the point where you want to keep watching this broadcast that is going to be over three days of a grand total of about 30 hours long. Like I want to keep you engaged. I don't want you saying this guy's voice is annoying me. This guy's a douche. It's douche free broadcasting. That's my <laughs> two cents. That's guy. To get yeah. and to get think get and 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 my job is not to know which prospect is good or is a bad fit. It's my job to know the narratives for each team and what they've been looking for at positions, what the fan base is eager to see being drafted by their teams yeah. because the quarterback hasn't been right for years or the running backs haven't been very good or the linebackers have not been very good. And here comes a linebacker or there was one on the board and they passed on it. Um, that's my role is needs for teams, but really what fans are thinking as this thing goes uh, down the draft door and also keep things in line like who's on the clock and what draft trades happened or hey you remember that trade for that player or yeah. this big moment well that draft choice that we haven't talked about in three months because that's when he was traded this is the pick this is now the personification of that draft trade that yeah. your team made to get more players now there's a human being that is in that slot and remind everybody of that. That's my role over three days. I am not honestly sitting there biting my tongue about, Oh, I'm, I'm not allowed to give my two cents on a player. I, I will never, but you have opinions. I might. Yeah. I mean, I got opinions. I don't have to play. break down that film. You know what I'm saying? Like, was you know, there but I've been taking right time about. away from Daniel Jeremiah and Charles Davis. You're right. You're right. And it's taken time away from Joel Klatt and they have been, they've done the work. Like, like uh, as much as I love my Michigan Wolverines, am I really going to tell Joel Klatt that this guy can do something that you don't know, Joel, and you've called six big noon Fox games for Michigan, like, and you've been in the meeting rooms with these guys? I'm going to tell Joel. I don't know something. I don't know, I'm man, sitting on my the, couch about. This you know, shit is like, such a crapshoot. I'm not saying it you is. Have to tell him about it, but even the experts are wrong 50 percent of the time. It's like gambling. It's like if you right. if you're going 50. Four percent of the time you're like a fucking you're a sharp right and so like my question to you is have you ever internally been like i'm right about this guy and you know you're not going to say it because your your job is your job have you ever been wrong about somebody that you're like no Damn, i really I've never gone in that never direction had, you've never I've had tried that, to stay in my lane by the way you you, you know your family friend of mayock do you think yeah. he would ever he would ever allow me to give my opinion on a player what that he disagreed with without slapping me down. <laughs> Are you up, kidding Brady. me? Yeah, dude, I can hear it. that guy, uh, honestly, that ain't I just texted him the other day. Whenever I have a question about something on that side of things, he's 
he's a good dude. He always answers and and one and million percent. But don't stray out of your lane into his on yeah, live television. That's, his lane. that's yeah, my his lane. that's my only advice to you. Well, with Mayock. Speaking of Mayock, if you guys, if there's any Raiders fans listening, go back and listen to his interview on on our show last year. He was really open, uh, and just you'll find it. You already knew this, but Mike is a great human being and uh, a lot of fun and can put put a beer or two back. I've enjoyed meeting up with Mike uh, in the city a couple of times. So, uh, Rich, appreciate the time. Congratulations. Thanks, um, I really mean it as a as a somebody who's gone up and down way too much with Virginia sports. I can't even imagine. So good for you. Thanks, pal. Thanks for yeah. everything you do with my show. And um, um, anytime you want me on, you, you just, you know, you know how to reach out. Thanks, my dude. Game day is the perfect pizza day. So make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL part of your game day. Order online during our pizza pizza pregame one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday. To have your NFL game day covered, choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. It's a pizza pizza win. And speaking of winning, Everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, order your Little Caesars, and enjoy during the games. Maybe you guys at home have this thing, but um, when I was younger, and I didn't even know how close I was to not being young. Like, I think that's the thing about being in your 20s. You think, like, this goes on forever. I'm an adult. This is what being an adult is like. That's bullshit. I was talking to somebody the other day about having more and more kids. They were about to have two kids. And I was like, I don't have any advice. You'll figure it out. You really don't need advice. What you need is the survival instincts to kick in around 28, 30 years old. Like that's, that's the way this thing goes. It's like, I couldn't explain to my, my, my former self what it would be like with three kids. You just fucking, you, you, you jump on the bus. It's moving. You jump on the bus. You try to hang on, you find a seat. You do what you're supposed to do. You figure it out. That's what cavemen have been doing for millions of years. But, but there are certain things that they pass you by and you're just like, fuck, I can't do those things anymore. Like, am I not supposed to do these things anymore? Am I too old to do these things anymore? Do I not have time? Is it not, is it not logistically sound to leave my family of three young children under seven to go do drugs on a bus outside of Nashville for three days and, and watch 70 bands at Bonnaroo. Is that a tough sell when it comes to my lovely wife? Are there gonna be people there that are gonna look at me and say I'm old? Okay, like that's the way I feel. Since, since I was maybe 25, for like a consecutive streak of five to six years. And I've told this story on the, on the pod a lot, but for people that just showed up, or maybe you're just passing through for Rich Eisen today, I used to get, I used to go to Bonnaroo every year and I've tried a few of these festivals. I've gone to Coachella. Okay. The way I feel right now at, at, at a Bonnaroo is how I felt at Coachella when I was 27 years old, I felt too old to be there. You know, I didn't feel like a West coast guy. It was a weird vibe. The last day I actually quit the festival, there were, it was seven dudes in a house in the middle of the desert outside of Coachella, uh, Indio, California. 
if that rings a bell. Anyways, we had this beautiful house up on a mountain. And it was me, Danny Amendola, Bradford, some other guys. Like that was our whole crew. That was our festival crew, and then whoever else was 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 on the the manifest that weekend. Um, we go to Coachella for like an ambitious four nights. And Coachella is like Vegas, you know, there, there has to be a fucking limit to how long you can do that thing. Any of these festivals really. But even at that age, I just remember waking up the fourth day and everybody's like, we're going to see cage the elephant or some shit. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. They're like, what? The festival's 40 minutes away. So like when you Cage leave the for, elephant. Yeah. When you, uh, and, and listen, I like Cage the Elephant. They're at Bonnaroo this year. I, I actually, there's a guy in Cage the Elephant. I have no idea what his name is. Maybe Nick, because I have this guy's number saved in my phone is Nick from Cage the Elephant. I used to party at Bonnaroo. And one year, Cage the Elephant, I guess before they were like a really big deal, we were just hanging out with this dude, Nick from Cage the Elephant. I don't know what he does in that band. I think he plays guitar. Nick Bachrath. Is he the is lead name. singer? No, uh, Nick Bachrath. But the point is, I was like partying with, with Nick from Cage the Elephant. And then I ran to him like three bonners later, and I was like, yo, dude, Nick? And he just walked right past me. <laughs> you know, and that's the life of a musician. You know, he's just, uh, who gives a fuck about me? <laughs> you know, he was really cool. I just don't think he remembered me. I think he was trying to get to a set or something. But anyways, the guys were like, you know, Cage the Elephant or whoever Diplo was in 2012 is coming on. I think it was like 2010, so I can't even imagine. Uh, but I was in full festival mode, and by the fourth day, I just quit. And I said, I'm staying here in this house. And I had the scaries worse than I've ever had in my life. I'm alone in this house that looks like some Hollywood mogul probably murdered somebody in. And it's a ranch-style house, mid-century modern appointments big glass windows a pool it's just little old me and i feel like my brain is attacking my body right now like i i'm losing my mind you know the thing after you've been day drinking and and binge drinking for three days and back in the day there was no like governor now at the end of my nights i stop i drink water i put a liquid iv in i put a a athletic greens in. i don't even know if athletic greens makes does anything (laughs) i'm just putting it down the hatch but back in the day it was like multiple beers from the fridge and I need a shot of Jack to wash it down right before I go to sleep. Those were the kind of, those were the kind of weekends. And, and that day I just had enough and, and I'm sitting there with the scaries and I'm alone in the kitchen. I'll vividly remember as that sun starts to go down over those mountains, wherever the fuck I was. And you really get the scaries, the scaries kick in when the lights change and a fucking big ass bird flies into the window, this big window. And it, and it flies into the house and hits the window trying to get out and it breaks its neck. And so it's me and the bird for an hour and a half. And I, I don't mean to admit this, but I didn't have it in me that day to put the bird out of its misery. I was just, <laughs> just me and the bird. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this, this is rock bottom. All my friends are at Coachella. I'm at this house that somebody probably got killed in. I've been sleeping in a laundry room on the ground next to the washing machine because there's too many fucking people in the house and I don't mind sleeping wherever as long as it's a dark room. But I'm not doing good, man, and I need to see my friends and I have no way of getting there. So I finagle a ride, I'm gonna make it. And when I show up, everybody's gonna be so excited. You know, like, he's back. I run in that motherfucker and 
I'm talking three minutes before I get there, the Tupac hologram starts. <laughs> Do you remember that Tupac hologram? Of course. Yeah, he was all over, uh, <laughs> all, over, all over South Park, like two years later. I'm losing my mind, dude. I'm just, I made the guy stop at a gas station and give me two King Cobras just so <laughs> I could muster the strength to re-enter the horde of people, you know? Uh, polished those bad boys off, felt better, went in, watched the Tupac hologram. That night, me, Sam, Danny got on a private jet. I think to go back to St. Louis for OTAs. We flew all night. I watched a documentary about the death penalty because I can't sleep on planes. It's a dark plane. People are snoring. There's turbulence. I'm listening to a guy talk about his last meal. And capital punishment is a bad deal. I mean, yeah. everything's bad about this trip at this point. We get out. We land at 5 in the morning, go straight to St. Louis. We, we, we land at 5 in the morning. I get out. We get in an SUV, and we are on the line at 7 in the morning. Okay? I was watching a fucking Tupac hologram nine hours ago. Okay? 14 hours ago, I thought I was having a mental health crisis. Okay? So I quit, I quit Coachella. Long story short, I don't know if I have this stuff in me anymore. We tried to make one last run at Bonnaroo. A couple years ago, the motherfucker got rained out, you know? Some people would call that divine intervention when a bunch of 30-somethings are trying to make a run at this thing again. But we used to get a bus. You know, uh, Kay Adams has been to Bonnaroo. Okay, me and Kay have talked about it. Kay's been to Bonnaroo. Sam Bradford's been to Bonnaroo. Uh, Danny Amendola's been to Bonnaroo. Lane Johnson, I got to go to Bonnaroo one year. If I'm forgetting anybody else notable that went to Bonnaroo, there's the who's who of this thing. And we run into the same people every year. We'd run into some musicians. You get to know people. I ran into John Hamm at Bonnaroo. So maybe I got some years left. I'm no John Hamm, but I could still go to Bonnaroo. Um, it, got, it got to be a thing. Like, shout out to Coach Brian, who coaches Tennessee high school football there. He used to be one of the guys that would drive us around in golf carts to different shows. I think he won a state championship since the time I met him. But I keep in touch with all these people. So it's hard for me to just say goodbye to this chapter in my life. Because I kind of want to go back. And then the lineup comes out, and I'm too fucking old. I'm too fucking old, man. I'm looking at this lineup, and if it weren't for the Red Hot Chili Peppers in big, bold letters, <laughs> or Post Malone, who I could pretend to enjoy. I mean, there's not, I got nothing against Post Malone. I just don't listen to Post Malone. There's just not a lot of acts that I actually have their music or know their music. And I'll go through and tell you who those people are. Krungbin, however the fuck you say it. I still haven't figured it out. Reed, how do you say it? Didn't we have well, a thing? Uh, yeah, we had a thing. You're right. You're Krungbin. Right. Yeah. Krungbin. Krungbin's awesome. They're there. I go to see Krungbin. Gary Clark Jr., that's great. I love Gary Clark Jr. Saw him at the Willie Nelson deal there, uh, the 90th birthday party. Thundercat. We like Thundercat. I like 49 Winchester. I don't Agreed. know if you guys have ever heard of 49 Winchester, and they are from? Virginia. Cage the Elephant. I wrote that one down because there I know Nick from Cage the Elephant. Okay, I know Nick. And I know they're loud as fuck, dude. It's, it's a good show. Okay, but I don't know Cage the Elephant that well. I just know Nick. Nick don't know me. He's like Buddha Baker. I don't know Nick. Nick don't know, you know. Uh, Diplo. Okay, he's pretty good, right? It's, a, it's just a he, right? It's just one guy, Diplo. Okay. John Baptiste. You know who that is, Reed? 
Yeah, he's great. He used to be the house band for um, uh, uh, one of the late night guys, CBS. What's his name? Um, Colbert? Uh, Ferguson? Yeah, Colbert. Okay, interesting. Because yeah. this guy's yeah, really, he's he's really he's well funky. known, very well respected. And, and I don't know if I'm supposed to let this slip, but I talked to Rosillo, who met him this weekend in L.A., and said he was the nicest human being. Like, most down-to-earth dude. Super cool. He's got Rosillo's vote of confidence. Maybe we'll go see him. Brittany Howard. I love Brittany Howard. I love the Alabama Shakes. Sean Paul is that. And that show would be lit, dude. And you know there's some shows that, like, T-Pain was there one year. And he's, there, he's here this year. Okay, well, then maybe I'm going because I remember <laughs> that show being incredible. Dude, his he's got a live album right now. He under the covers, he only does covers, and he does a War Pig cover, and it's oh, the War Pig sick. covers cool. War oh, Pig's it's so covers. sick. Yeah, War Pig covers cool. That guy's talented as fuck. But a yeah. guy who's, who's you know from yesterday that people don't talk about is Sean Paul, and I was just oh, yeah. talking to Ryan Clark about Sean Paul today. There's a guy named Jason uh, Isabel, uh, <laughs> and then we've got yep. Green Sky Bluegrass, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Obviously, I've seen Red Hot Chili Peppers at Bonnaroo, and I maintain that that Flea, former guest on the Greenlight Pod, I'd like to get him back now that I'm a better interviewer. Uh, Flea is the best athlete I've ever seen on stage at a uh, at a show. He's got to be. He never Agreed. stops moving. Buddy, the guitar is almost as big as him, and he's jumping yeah. six feet off the ground with that motherfucker. The whole show. And the thing you don't realize, again, going back to the age thing, 26 years old, that was impressive to me. I'm 38 now. I tried to touch the rim the other night at my kid's practice, and I did, <laughs> but it wasn't pretty. So, like, you know, like, I think about that guy being 50-plus years old, jumping around that stage. He's an incredible athlete. Uh, and then this last one, Imdu Mokhtar. Have you ever heard of these guys? Mm-mm. Holy shit. They fucking rip. I got to find out where they're from. Uh, Mdu Mokhtar. The guitar is an incredible read. Um, you want to add that? They don't even have a Wikipedia. No, they do. They're, uh, they are, they're from the, uh, the, the Nigerian village of uh, Nigerian village. They're from Niger. Okay, these dudes Which are like. Which day are they? Uh, I don't know what day they are. They're uh, they were down in like small print somewhere. Oh, Friday night. That'd be sick. They're Friday probably during like Post Malone. I'd be the one guy that's like, I want to go here to hear this Nigerian <laughs> uh, uh, rock and roll band, and everybody's like, you fucking hipster. But that's me. Okay, so layup line. I'm just gonna put it out there to people listening. Like, go look at that Bonnaroo lineup. Tell me, give me some hope for this lineup. I'm not saying there's not good artists here, but like, you know, the one that, that I, I couldn't go to that was rained out was incredible looking. I felt for a while like they got it, it was way too young. And uh, dude, my friend meant Dua Lipa, got a picture with Dua Lipa at Bonnaroo. My boy Dewdrop, member of the bus. He, like yeah. people are just walking around this place like totally normal. This was before Dua Lipa was Dua Lipa. She was still Dua Lipa back then, but. <laughs> He also met uh, Laura Lee from uh, Krungbin. No way. It's Dewey, man. He's always got the yeah, – he yeah, knows yeah. how to, like, roll up to people and get good pictures. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Anyways. You, you uh, also got to check out Charles Wesley Godwin. He's okay. on there. Okay. Um, a lot of people like Gregor, Gregory Allen Isaacoff, um, the Teskey brothers. I will say Josiah and the Bonnevilles 
are really you would like them. They're okay. a good band. Okay. Um, Neil Francis. And, I know of yeah. Neil Francis. Neil Francis is good. SG yeah. Goodman yeah. also great. Um so I, there's there's some uh there's some small breakout guests. Okay. There's small breakout bands on here that are pretty solid. And you're not wrong about 49 Winchester. They're freaking awesome. Yeah, they are good, man. We used to meet my hockey boys there. That's how I met my guys from uh Missing Curfew. Shout out to those fellas, mm. those hockey dudes, man. Um I've been playing some Flames totals the last couple weeks. Uh, preparing for the long winter after we have, like, what do I do without football twice a week? I'm playing, like, hockey games. Last night I had Flyers pens under six and a half goals. It's it's two to one at the end of the first period. I got people laughing me off the stage in the Knives group text, okay? But the fucking game ended 4-1 or whatever it was. Not important. Hockey's fun to back, guys. I know we're about to enter the the... The, the great beyond where we don't know what to do with our money or our time. Take a look at hockey. I know making likes tennis. We'll be back Friday with a preview. All the wildcard games. Cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs>